The Start On Demand. On demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb back together again for the first time in a month after Loren returned today from a week's vacation. And this week and next week, the hot and dry weather is going to remain and things are getting desperate. We also talked to Bob Irving about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers opening training camp. How exciting is that? The Bombers are back on the field. Still with football, Italy wins, England loses. The good, the bad, and the very, very ugly pertaining to the Euro 2020 final. And a Winnipeg woman is paying $200,000 US to get on a Virgin Galactic space flight. How much money would you spend? What would you spend a crazy amount of money on? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, July 12th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry. It's been a while since we've been able to say this, Greg. How about you do the honors, sir? Welcome back to Loren McNabb after a week of holiday. And before that, a week filling in for Jeff Courier. Great to have you back on your own show, McNabb. <laughs> How's it going, you guys? The three M's, the triple M. Reunite! <laughs> the threat <laughs> is back. The threat is real. <laughs> <laughs> and you, and you, you fell asleep at midnight. I fell asleep at midnight. Sure, who doesn't want a solid three hours of sleep before they restart their work week, right? <laughs> but I, I went out west. I went to the west coast of Vancouver, so I'm, I'm, I didn't think I would have that two-hour little bit of jet lag, but man, it was tough to fall asleep last night because, of course, two hours behind, two hours ahead, and then I was just, you know, like a lot to absorb over the past few days as things felt normal for me once again to get on that plane. So what was it, how was it being in an airport, for example, for the first time in how, who knows how long? Oh, gosh, I, I think it was a year and a half, at least for me, maybe a little longer. And uh, it was awesome. You know, I think we all have that thing, right, that when we look towards reopening the, the you know, whether it was getting to a bar or a restaurant or, or having, you know, a celebration with family or friends, you all had that thing that you w- couldn't wait to do. And so for me, with all my family living, my immediate family living out of province, like travel is, is paramount. And so when I walked into that airport, I, like I had a bit of that chills feeling, you know, the hair rises on your arm and you're just like, yes, finally we're back. So I was a little bit teary and honestly like a little bit leery only because it was all so bizarre. You walk in, you get your temperature check, everyone's wearing the masks like normal and you have to keep that mask on for the entire duration of the flight. So that's honestly the longest I've had a mask on, mm. you know, full stop for a long time for that length of time, right? Like three hours or four hours by the time you get into the airport and get your stuff and get in and get out. And then the flights was jam- were jammed. The airport yesterday was packed. It was lineups. And, and so it's just kind of a, you know, you're excited to be doing it, but it's also like, wow, that's a, you know, you're doing that whole, that's a lot of people in here. Everybody has So Loren, once you got to, to the West Coast, restrictions have been uh, lifted, altered. They, they look a little bit different in British Columbia than they do in Manitoba. How was that to get used to? Yeah, and you can't, and, I, and the rules are different, right? So you have to keep thinking, like, what am I supposed to be doing here? So I just kept my mask on anytime I would go inside a place because, uh, you know, the restaurants wanted you to keep doing it. Most stores wanted you to have the mask on. But, you know, in my parents' apartment building, I had an own place that I was able to use there, my own 
unit, um, rental unit, and you didn't have to have the mask on and you'd get into the elevator. And I don't know if you guys, how we feel about having this conversation so publicly, you know, with strangers, but you'd walk in and the sign says masks aren't mandatory, but we encourage them. So I, you know, of course I'm getting into the elevator and I put it on and then the next guy gets on to go up to whatever floor. Oh, you don't have to wear that mask, you know? And I'm like, yeah, no, I know. And then the next guy would get on without a mask on and say, I'm double dose, just so everyone knows. Like that whole like weird disclaimer. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, me too, me too. Yeah, no, I got two, I got two. You know, everyone's putting up their hand like that. And so I don't know, it's just a, it's a, such a personal thing to talk about your vaccines. And then there everybody was, as soon as like they, they, you'd see someone without a mask, they would say, just, I've been double dosed for months or weeks or whatever it is. So it's just an adjustment because wherever you go, there's going to be different rules depending on what province or country you're in. It is going to be an awkward transition, I think, for the next few months for so many of us. And indeed, the vaccine question, even asking somebody what their status is, that can create everything. Greg, I I mentioned last week, it's like if you want to date, typically you want to stay away from politics. But is the vaccine question something you should stay away from in the off, you know, the chance that the two of you do not see eye to eye on that? No, I think it's important to get that out of the way pretty quick. And that would be my opinion. Once again, as I said last week, I hope the dating skills are are ones I I never have to brush up on or or dust (laughs) off again. But, you know, we were out at uh, we were out at the beach on Saturday just for the day. And we were around some people uh, that we have been seeing since restrictions lifted and then people that we haven't literally seen for two summers now. And so that was a big part of the conversation when approaching and just feeling out, you know, you guys want to get together for a hot dog. And, and I think really probably you're only getting together with those people if you're in the same vaccination boat or same philosophy. And I know that some people see that as very divisive, but I think it's an important part of the discussion, Loren. Yeah, I just, that was the, that was the most interesting thing to me, how willingly people wanted to hand that over. And then in your head, you know, like you're also still thinking, yeah, no, I know you're double dose, but we're still in a really small space in an elevator. And you're just saying, like, you know, you have to have that trust factor. And why don't you just, why don't we just put our masks on while we're in this four by six space anyway, <laughs> just to like, you know, make everybody more comfortable. And so it just, I think, I think as we looked, you know, I think the, the premier said last week, right, that they're going to announce this week what our next reopening phase will look like. I think we're going to all have to have a bit of that patience. And then I also, too, like there were moments where you, we were in certain establishments where some people weren't wearing masks, which I haven't seen a ton of in Winnipeg. And then you're like, excuse me, you know, put your mask on. But they didn't have to. So I, I found it challenging. But overall, man, did it feel good to see family. It felt good to get those hugs. And I think the airport, like I kind of wanted to almost park myself in an airport with a box of wine and just cry over everyone's reunions. It was awesome. <laughs> I wanted to follow people around like, where are you going? Oh, you're going to see your brother. That's so great. Send me a photo. Do I know you? I don't care. Just send me a picture of this. Like, I'm so excited for you. Well, it's good to have you back, Loren. And it's been a month, I think, since the three of us were together because I was off. Greg, you were off. Then I was oh, off. that's right. Then Loren was filling in for Jeff. And then Loren was off. And so we're, we're back together this week. And then I'm off for another week. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when do you take your next week of vacation, Loren? After you. Like you right? Go, you go, then I go for a couple weeks. And then I'm assuming, I didn't think Greg was going to be here this week, to be honest. Yeah, because I think last well, I summer. I could leave if you like. <laughs> I just was trying to, in my head, and I was on vacation, and then I didn't want to, you started texting with some story ideas, and then I thought, he could be off for all I know, and he's still going to text us with story ideas, so it's hard to know who's working and who's not some days. (laughs) 
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Question of the day at cjob.com. Brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. The question that went up Friday afternoon. There is an overwhelming demand for physical Manitoba immunization cards. Have you gotten yours yet? 14% say yes. 4% say planning to use the digital card only, and 82% say still waiting. So you can cast your vote, cjob.com. Shoot us a text at 204-780-6868 if you have any feedback on that. And we will get a new question up for you soon. Do right you have now. yours, Brett? Sorry, I have I mine. Oh, okay, cool. I'm waiting for mine, so I just wondered how long the wait might be. Yeah, well, we learned last week that, uh, Greg, I think just due to that overwhelming demand that they'd essentially halted the... Uh, the process, right? Like there was going to be a big wait. Yeah, there's a shortage of the physical cards to be printed. So there is an absolutely hard stop on production of them. And so if you're waiting, uh, you're going to be waiting a little longer, McNabb. I hate to tell you that. Ugh, I'm annoyed. I really wanted to flash that thing around like... Uh... Like Dumb Phoebe Jim did Carey. when she finds uh, the, the police badge. would be like, don't worry, I'm a limo driver and I'm vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the digital, look, the digital card works just fine. I saw I it in action yesterday, but I wanted to have the, the plastic card just in on the, like, let's say my phone is dead or let's say I can't, I can't get online for whatever reason or I can't find the screenshot of the QR code because I, you know, screenshot so many stupid golf memes. Uh, <laughs> hold on. It's here somewhere. Let me just, I'm scrolling. I can't, I can't find it. I just wanted the card so it could fall apart like my Manitoba health card in my wallet as I disintegrates mm. into a zillion pieces. But do you hear yeah. this sound? This yeah. is the sound of the card. They, this... Oh, it's hard. That's right. See, why can't we? Again. They, they could turn around this hard, physical, laminated. You guys have probably already ranted about this all yeah. last week. But no, no, rant, rant away. It's a, it's, it's a worthwhile rant and point. Uh, Go ahead, Loren. No, I'm done. I can't even read the, my health card number. I and know. then another thing that just irks me is that then they go and ask for it. And you, can you see your card? I'm like, I just feel like, am I not in a system? Because they're not a computer system. So I'm not in a system. There's no system. Is that what? You must present the card each and every time you attend the physician's office. Please so let's have just it be ready clear. when you approach the desk. No system. Not in no the system. No system. Right. Exactly. Right. I think I'm done. All right. If you had the opportunity to live out your retirement dreams, how much would you pay? Well, a Winnipeg retiree has answered that question and is very close to the front of the line to head into orbit. She holds a Virgin Galactic ticket to space, Loren. That ticket costs $250,000 U.S. U.S. is key there, I think. Uh, her name is Judy Anderson. She's a retired U of M professor. And Judy has been saving for this trip to space since 2010 when she first found out about billionaire Richard Branson's plan to take people off planet Earth. Global's Joe Scarpelli has that story. Three, two, one. Release, release, release. And here Clean it is. Release. Look at that. Ignition. <laughs> Judy Anderson has been waiting 11 years for this moment. It was pretty awesome, I gotta say. I, I didn't expect to be as excited as I was. <laughs> I'm gonna be there. But she'll have to wait a little longer for that moment. So they're at 236000 The retired University of Manitoba professor holds ticket 623 to board one of Virgin Galactic's commercial flights to space. That process won't start until at least next year. 
but after decades of fantasies and one failed attempt at becoming a Canadian astronaut in the 90s, her dream is finally within reach. I just love the idea of floating and seeing the Earth from up in space. You know, seeing the curvature of the Earth. Seeing what she's describing costs a pretty penny. A ticket is around $250,000 US. Anderson signed up in 2010 and locked in at $200,000. She's already made a $20,000 down payment and will have to pay the rest in full about three months before her flight. We have over half in US dollars. I'll eat macaroni and cheese for the rest of my life. Virgin Galactic is offering two astronaut hopefuls a chance to win a spot on one of the first flights. If enough people all over the world participate, it, it just means we can just keep on, you know, the charity can keep on uh, doing tickets for people. So it's a lovely sort of self-propelling way of just trying to get lots of people who couldn't have otherwise afforded to go to space to go to space. A free ticket might be the only way to get Anderson's husband on board. Half a million dollars is a pretty expensive holiday. But uh, no, I don't really feel that much of a, of a de desire to go. His loss, says his wife. I'm so looking forward to it, especially after this morning. <laughs> Joe Scarpelli, Global News, Winnipeg. I love the understated nature of what he said there. A half a million dollars is kind of an expensive vacation, so. <laughs> Good for her, though. And if you don't really want to go, that's even more of an ex, 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 extra cost, right? Uh, it's do totally I really have to go? Fight. It's not like going to the mall because you don't want to. Yeah. It's like, do you really have to go to space today? I was just thinking it's like the fight you have with your spouse or whatever over a movie or maybe like, I don't want to go visit your family this year. Let's go visit my family or something. But you're not adding in that. I don't want to pay 250 k thousands to go there on this vacation. So, yeah. <laughs> go alone then. That's good. I like it. But that's it's pretty exciting. Did either of you see the the footage of this? Uh, I I missed it, so I didn't see the launch. Greg, did you happen to see any of it? No, I was on the beach. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, Jackie at one point said, "Didn't they launch that uh, rocket thing to space? The Richard Branson thing?" I said, "Yep." She goes, "And you're not glued to your phone? What's who, who are you? What's going on?" And I'm like, "And you know what? I just." intent on enjoying the day today and so Loren I peeled myself away from the social medias and my phone for a really good chunk of Saturday and I have to say it felt really good oh good that's good it was kind of cool to see I have to say like based on the fact that there was a couple of failed launches and lives have been lost in this quest to get to space privately from a different companies I, I would want quite frankly to see a few more test runs before I joined any of this but I think it's a cool I mean, hey, like it's the next it's the next place people will go, and the people behind this obviously have the, the money. And I'm talking the Bransons and the Bezos and the Amazons of the world. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, Loren is back from vacation. As we just learned, a Winnipeg woman is paying two hundred thousand dollars U.S. so she can fly to space with Virgin Galactic. She has ticket number six twenty-three, which means she'll be on the one hundred and fourth flight. Since there are six passengers per flight, commercial flights aren't expected to start for a while yet. So, we want to ask you the question: What outlandish thing would you save up for if you could? 
what crazy thing would you spend a lot, a lot of money on? Or, you know, if you want to go back to your childhood here, maybe you saved up for something when you were a kid. And at the time, it seemed like all the money in the world. Like when I saved up for a 13-inch Emerson brand television that I bought at Majestic Electronics in St. James. 204-780-6868 for your chance to win a $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. Let's go around the horn here. we got Skylar Peters in this week for Jeff Braun. Skylar, why don't we start with you, sir? Yeah, I had to think long and hard about this, like what I'd actually spend a bunch of money on. Uh, pretty sure it would be a yacht, though. Uh, it just seems like a an absolute like time, but I, th- I guess I'd have to relocate to uh, like somewhere on the coast. But yeah, a lifestyle that I'm not anywhere. Not necessarily. Close to just put it like in your a... backyard. <laughs> just have like a random yacht, like in the parking or, lot or of like your Lake apartment Manitoba. building. <laughs> yeah, I mean Bobby yeah, in Cougar either. Town lived on a boat in the middle of a parking lot, and they played penny can in the parking lot. So there you could do you that. Go. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's closer. Than- I think, but yeah. Well, there's a will, like there's a, a way, Peters. Like a, <laughs> well, that's, why, that's why I keep grinding, guys. How big you know, of a yacht? Uh, well, I guess it would depend on what uh, my budget, like I'd go for like a crazy one, like one with a helipad, you know? Like, yeah! <laughs> An aircraft carrier. <laughs> like, if, you're, if you're getting a yacht, you got to get a yacht, you know? Like, <laughs> there it is. Well, that's the question, right? Portress, what about you? I'd make my own movie. Like, I would make a huge, giant blockbuster. It would be probably terrible because I have no idea how to make a movie, and it's probably one of the most frustrating things, and there's so many little things that go wrong every day. But I'd love to, that's always like been my dream, to be like a, a big-time movie director, and, and I, I'd make some, some kind of film. I don't know what I would make, but I'd make a movie. Okay. Would yeah. it, so maybe something along the lines of Lord of the Rings? Uh, perhaps, yeah. Some sort of, his, you know, something historical, maybe like a, around the Napoleonic era or something. I don't know, Roman. I don't know. Like, I have no idea. I haven't really thought about it, but I know that I would, I would make like a really cool movie, which would be probably awful. You could be the next, you could do the next adaptation of Lord of the Rings. No, there's no reason to ever have another adaptation. It's perfect. <laughs> it, it'll come sooner or later, oh, I'm sure. Travis, But I, I agree with you. They should not leave. They should just leave that alone. Mr. Fortier. I'm not prepared to go into space, but something that I always want to do, and I don't know how much it would cost, and I don't know how I would go about doing this, but I always want to be on like a, a fighter jet. You know, where you get to feel those G-forces and you do crazy spins and whatnot. It just, I think that'd be really, really cool, really fun. I had the opportunity to fly in a CF-18 Hornet a few year, about 10 years ago uh, when they, for one of the air shows out in Southport. And it was, it was pretty cool, man. Like a year we were going, I think, almost like 800 kilometers an hour at one point. That would be so much fun. I'm so jealous. It was neat. It was one of the coolest things. And the pilot's name was Captain Fat Daddy. So I wasn't allowed, I wasn't actually allowed to call him by his real name. As far as I was concerned, his name was Captain Fat Daddy. What about Goose or Iceman? <laughs> uh, Loren, what about you? Well, I remember as a kid, I can still remember the exact amount saving up for my, the Cabbage Patch Kid because they were expensive and there was four kids in my family and everybody couldn't always, you know, couldn't always get what you wanted. That's life. And so it was $38 to purchase Andre Terrence. That was the Cabbage Patch's uh, name. But I think if uh, currently now, if it was going to be something fun, it would either be I actually would do space or to pick off Fort Chase thing. This is so weird because the ocean freaks me out if I'm in the middle of it without seeing land. But on the opposite end, I'd love to be on like an aircraft carrier just for like 15 minutes just to see what that's like. Maybe even have the plane land, you know, where it hits that net, if that's even a real thing. You know, in the movies where it oh, like, yeah. has to run into the 
volleyball net, it looks like, <laughs> which I'm sure it's not. <laughs> but that would be fun. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Mackling? Oh, well, uh, I would, I would uh, gear up. Uh, either um, luxury motorhome, or maybe I would just go like a uh, nice uh, F-150. Now nah, I will go F-250 with a uh, trailer, and we're going to every major league ballpark. We're going to take uh, a couple nice. months and just go right across North America. My brother and I started that adventure in 2001, and then September 11th uh, meant the cancellation of a whole whack. I think it was almost a week, if not more, uh, baseball games that prevented us from uh, – from completing the second half of our journey. So I am intent at some point on completing that journey. And I figured, you know what, with my kids, we'll just start from scratch and, and go to all major league ballparks. I think it'd be a blast. Getting a couple of texts on vehicles. One listener saying a Dodge Challenger and Eve taking it a step further. He says, I'd get a Ferrari F40 with all maintenance paid for 20 years. Cars alone go for <laughs> 3 million plus. Wow. Another one here. Uh, somebody says, I'd spend uh, big money on an indoor mini golf course. Ooh, cool. hmm. That's fun. See, I also a pool. I'd be intrigued to have a pool. But like not just an outdoor pool. Water like park. Indoor, outdoor. Yeah. Water like, park. Like, get, go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. Water park. That's Water the conversation park. we just start today. <laughs> and I would put it right downtown. <laughs> nobody can go but go. me. <laughs> it is funny. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. In almost every conversation, you can sneak in the water park some in some capacity. So at 204-780-6868, if you could save up for something big, something outlandish, what would it be? Tell us a story at 204-780-6868. And like we said, if maybe there's a story you want to tell from your childhood when you had to save up all your allowance money or maybe you had a flyer route or something and uh, you got yourself a Cabbage Patch doll or a 13-inch TV, whatever the story. We got Santa Lucia pizza up for grabs. We'll give it away just after 9.15. Mackling and McGarry and McNabb. See, look at that. We've been doing this an hour, and I still can't get into the habit of we're all We're back together for the first time in a month. Runs back from holidays, not filling in for Jeff Courier. I'm off next week, though, so just one more week, and then uh, musical chairs shall continue. In our next half hour, St. Laurent. Big protest over the weekend over the fees for non-residents to use the beach. We will speak to one of the organizers of that protest. At 7.50, we'll talk about the Euro final, Italy defeating England. And then at 8.37, Blue Bombers open training camp, our weekly visit with the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Bob Irving. In the meantime, we will learn more this week on what the next phase, Loren, of reopening will look like. Yeah, so we were saying the Premier while I was away last week, so I'm catching up on this news. You just need to interrupt if I get it wrong, because I think I might. I'm traveling to different provinces, and every province has a different reopening phase and trying to figure out what's going on. But here in Manitoba, of course, they were waiting for that first incubation period to pass since the last orders were changed last in June. And so now we've been through that incubation phase, and we're supposed to hear at some point this week what the next phase of reopening will look like. And those changes will likely kick in this weekend, Greg. And so people are wondering, capacity limits changes. I think theaters would be looking to reopen if possible, if that's on the agenda. What about gatherings, indoor, outdoor all sorts of questions and then, you know, weddings and funerals and everything. We're heading into the big wedding season for summer. What what might that look like? Yeah, I think there's going to be a, a lot of pressure on Premier Brian Palster and Dr. Rusin to loosen these restrictions, hopefully not beyond what 
anyone is comfortable with because as you look west, Stampede is underway in Alberta, Saskatchewan over the weekend pretty much lifted all their restrictions and British Columbia is in a situation where their restrictions are are not as stringent as they are here in Manitoba. But I did some homework this morning and and the numbers in those three provinces, quite different, not incredibly different, but much different than they are here in Manitoba. Alberta, as an example, has 126 current patients in hospitals across that province. And remember, there are 4.5 million people in Alberta, 35 of those in the ICU. Uh, Saskatchewan, which has a population very similar to Manitoba, 1.2 million versus 1.4 million in Manitoba. There are 48 inpatient uh, COVID-19 patients in that province, six in the ICU. And here in Manitoba, we still have 14 people in ICU. And the seven-day average for cases in Saskatchewan, 43, just 19 on Sunday. In Manitoba, we had 74 on Friday. So the numbers are different. And even though we associate ourselves very closely with those provinces, the numbers are are, are different in those provinces. And the Regina Leader Post uh, reporting that at 12.01, people were so excited, Brett, that they were lining up at nightclubs just to get in outside Gabo's nightclub. There were more than 100 people waiting in line as doors opened at midnight. Yeah, if I was if I was a youngster, I would have been probably one of those people in that lineup to get into that club. And on one hand, it, it was sort of exciting and kind of made me smile to see how excited and and pumped up they were talking about being able to dance just a couple inches away from their friends. But at the same time, it you know, it, there's part of me that's a little a little nervous about that. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of I, I'm on the fence on on how to feel about that, Loren. I think that's where many people will be because because also too you're thinking about the economy and th- you know the the bars and nightclubs that haven't been able to open in months like it's been you know like a, it's been a good year since anyone's heard concerts indoors at least there might be some outdoor stuff going on and I, that w- that's my overriding riding feeling like even just having I sat on this plane on the way to and from Vancouver this past week and it's jammed and I'm sitting closer to a stranger than I have in a year and a half, right? And you don't know, you don't even know their name, let alone are they vaxxed or not vaxxed or whatever the thing is. And so there's, I was doing this weird lean away, you know, like really leaning into my window hard. And I don't know how I thought that was going to help me, but it was like this, I'm happy to be going and doing all those things, but you have that bit of that discomfort because you haven't done it in so long. So I don't, I don't know where we're going this week, but uh, the loosening will happen. We're we're there. We're well past those vaccination numbers in Manitoba, those targets that they set. And so I'm really curious to see if we continue kind of slow and steady or if it's just wide back open. Question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. Saskatchewan is the latest jurisdiction to lift its restrictions. What's your take? And your options are it's too early. I'm cautiously optimistic or let's get on with it. You can cast your vote at cjob.com. We'll put that up on Twitter as well at 680cjob. GMAC, what was your reaction to the, uh, the, the Saskatchewan nightclub, the lineup at 1201 a.m.? Well, I'm so beyond my nightclub years that it was uh, uncomfortable just to imagine being up that late, <laughs> never mind being in the club. Okay, yeah. So, uh, but I did read that with, uh, you know, a little bit of cringe, a little bit of cringe, I admit, 
to, uh, you know, them talking about how close everybody was and sharing drinks and all that sort of thing. Uh, I don't like to share drinks with my kids and my wife, so let alone strangers or, or people that I'm at a nightclub with. So, yeah, there's cringe there outside of COVID-19 times, let alone, uh, you know, one minute after restrictions are lifted. I, I mean, good on you if, if, if that's your comfort level. And if your government and your health officials have made those decisions, who am I to say that you shouldn't be doing that? If you're comfortable doing that and it's within the rules, have at her. Have a blast. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, we are asking you at 204-780-6868 to tell us what would you save up for? What crazy thing would you save up for if you could? based on, inspired by the Winnipeg woman who is prepared to pay $250,000, 200K US, to get on a Virgin Galactic flight to space. And Loren, great text from Dave. I'm still stuck on someone losing a wheelbarrow and not, not knowing it. But yeah, there's a lot of great texts coming in from people on what they would spend money on, those crazy dreams. Like Glenn said he would maybe buy a helicopter and take helicopter lessons because then you could fly to really cool places and mountains and land in different spots. Mm. And then Dave, we were asking the question, you know, if it's not about what would you spend money on, what did you maybe spend money on as a kid? Dave texted to say, when I was a kid, saved up all summer for a copy of the comic book X-Men number one, which was for sale at a used bookstore for 50 bucks. The comic had come out years ago at that point, and the original price on it was 12 cents. I was just hoping and praying that no one else would buy it. All my friends and family thought I was nuts, but I did buy it at the end of the summer, and I still have it. The value of that particular comic is now in the six figures, so not a bad investment for $50. That's great. Good for you. I'm just the fact that it was 12 cents. I guess this was probably the uncanny X-Men number one. Uh, I'm just looking, trying to find the cover of that. But uh, yeah, that's amazing that a $50 investment is now worth six figures. Well done and well, good for you for keeping it in uh, pristine shape. Because that's the kind of thing where if you want it to stay in, in the shape that is required to be of value, you can't really look at it. So I like to like Read the comic books. <laughs> so. oh, no, 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 don't take it out of the package. What are you doing? It's a toy. I want to play with it. You can't play with it. <laughs> you can't show that account. to anyone. It's my retirement fund. Get away from that shelf. Also, Glenn, uh, you mentioned the helicopter that Glenn wants. Plus, if he gets that helicopter, then he can land on the helipad on uh, Skylar's yacht. In his parking lot of his, next to where we put the water park up that we're going to buy and let nobody in. Put the yacht in the water park. There you go. Oh, gosh. Thank Combine you, Greg. Combine all the dreams. Full circle. There, there it is. Oh, and Mike wants to know, Greg, uh, Mike says it's Shark Week. Are you going to be watching ah. it? Oh, yeah. I've got my PVR set. I'm recording them all. Every last show on sharks. Yes, Mike. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. That was the sound of England drawing first blood in the Euro 2020 final, although England went on to lose to Italy, and then naturally that led to some elation on Corden. Not exactly. I couldn't quite tell, looking at that particular video, where on Corden it was, but uh, you have to imagine it was somewhere around Baratalia or Saffron's or one of those places on Corden. But yeah, it was uh, it was a fun day yesterday. I sat 
at the King's Head. I was cheering for England. I went with a friend who was cheering for Italy, and she wasn't sure what she was going to do at first. She said, don't tell anybody I'm uh, Italian. <laughs> but there were, there were a couple of people in there who were wearing their Italian jerseys, so she thought, okay, and she pulled out this uh, scarf that was adorned with the uh, the Italian colors. And, uh, she, and, and she was sitting right beside a guy like who is from England, and uh, they got along just fine. So it was, a, it was a fun experience to be at a pub where people were cheering, where you could hear things like this during the penalty kicks. <laughs> just gives me goosebumps. And I was there. But it was just so much fun to be around people cheering for something again, Greg. No question about it. And uh, I wasn't sure who I was cheering for either. Last week I said that I had reasons to cheer for, for either team, England or Italy. And uh, I guess Pickford is the goalie for, for England. And he, the, the, his size, the size difference between he and the goalie for Italy was unbelievable. I think maybe eight, nine, ten inches difference height-wise. And, and the size of the goaltender... Uh, for Italy, I think was uh, really a big part of his success in in uh, England. You know, obviously hit one goalpost, but he made two great big saves. And uh, guessing right doesn't hurt either. But uh, when Pickford made that save, I decided, yeah, I kind of think I kind of want to see England win. And so maybe that was the kiss of death for England because I decided I wanted to see them win. <laughs> and uh, so Italy winning is obviously one thing. I think it's 34 straight matches uh, that they've won now. They changed their identity following missing the World Cup back in 2018, I want to say. and uh, But some ugliness coming out of this as well. Some video coming uh, over the, the internet uh, from around, uh, from, from Wembley Stadium, in fact. Some of the Italian fans, Loren, on their way out, getting punched, kicked, kicked spat on by, by English fans. And... Uh, also some ugliness in terms of uh, racism directed towards the players who missed the penalty kicks for England. And, you know, it's, it's, it's despicable what we're hearing this morning about some of the attacks they've received both online and elsewhere. And you mentioned, first of all, just the attacks at Wembley Stadium with England fans, some England fans beating up on Italian fans and I, or Italy fans. And I think, you know, the sadness of all this, too, is that that was predictable. You, know, you knew that there was going to be some violence no matter which way it went out of that, which is just a sad statement in itself. And then yesterday on Twitter, as soon as I saw that England had lost, because I was in transit yesterday, so I only watched the first half of the game, I also saw people say, oh, no, I feel I already can feel the pain for these soccer players that are going to be not just hit with abuse for missing the kicks, but racial abuse. And so now we have the police investigating things over there. You've got, you know, everyone from Prince William to the soccer federation saying this is unforgivable, not what they stand for, to just be targeted like this, uh, not just for missing the kick, but because of the color of their skin is the beyond the saddest thing. And like I said, extremely sad that people were like, oh, this is going to happen, that you knew it would come. And so there's calls even, Brett, for, you know, different social media companies to step in. There has to be a way to control this and to prevent this kind of abuse from being hurled at others. Yeah, apparently, uh, according to Global's Redmond Shannon, this sort of abuse is nothing new. Throughout the tournament, the English players take a knee for racial justice and racial equality just before every kickoff. And on every occasion, England fans booed their own players. 
and Prime Minister Boris Johnson and his Interior Minister Priti Patel here, the Home Secretary, both were asked if uh, that should be condemned. They both refused to condemn the booing of England players by their own fans for taking a knee. And uh, many today are pointing that out and saying that that perhaps encouraged the racism that we see online uh, today, the ongoing racism. So that's that stinks. But I'm thankful that I didn't see or hear any of that yesterday uh, when I was out at the, the King's Head. One of the another concern that came up, though, especially from the uh, the lifelong England fan, he said he described it as utter madness that 60,000 people were in Wembley, given how much COVID is spreading in England. And he pointed to the uh, there was an England Scotland match earlier and that was uh, responsible for thousands of cases, apparently. So uh, there's some genuine concern as well that this particular event is going to to be a bit of a super spreader. But um, at, at the very least, I got to watch the game safely with friends and even Chris over at the King's Head. Just before the match, he looked at me and said, now this, yes. this is a pub. Yeah, and it's such a unifying thing, right? That's the sad part about all this. And I keep using that word, but like sport is supposed to bring us all together. And especially events like this, where you're just celebrating different countries and nationalities and ethnicities. And it's all about just, I think, the joy that's supposed to come from that. And so to, to have the statement, you know, Redmond, that sadly, this is nothing new is the saddest thing of all. But Ren, the heat warning for Winnipeg has been, uh, shall we say, we've just pressed pause for a couple of days. Yeah, we had Kayla Evans on this morning, Global News Morning Weather Specialist, just saying if you can call 29 a cool down or a cool up or whatever you want to call it, I guess we can say that. But it's uh, still a hot, hot, hot. And we want to bring on former Environment Canada meteorologist Robert Paula because he not only spent decades monitoring our forecasts and our weather but he continues to do so even now and he's a great follow on twitter you can find him under rob zobs and wanted to wish good morning to rob robert hello oh good morning so you tweeted this morning that uh you were talking about the temperatures out there and the chance of some showers and thunderstorms today robert and then you had the line hopefully we get something that's way too dry out there only 1.5 millimeters of rain in winnipeg since june 10th. So let's start there. That's, I mean, how does that compare to previous years to have just 1.5 millimeters in an entire month? Well, we've, uh, we've had uh, similar dryness in other years. Uh, 1961, for example, was a very dry start to the uh, growing season. 1980 was another one. Um, but this is really desperate now because uh, this is really when the crops really need some good moisture to, um, to get them uh, through this growing phase, and it, it, the taps have just shut off in uh, Winnipeg and the Red River Valley since June 10th. Um, absolutely, very, very minimal rainfall, and that's with combined with the heat. That's putting a lot of stress on crops. Rob, I know the models only go out so far, but is there any reason to believe that we might get out of this dry spell? This dry, really, it's it's going on two years now. Is there anything out there that has you hopeful? Unfortunately, I wish I had better news, but right now I don't see much change for uh, really the rest of July anyways. Um, hopefully we get some pattern change in August, but at this point I, I just don't see anything um, that models are indicating any big change to the hot-dry pattern that we've been experiencing. Um, it ha- it, last year was the driest year on record uh, in Winnipeg, 
Uh, we only had uh, just over 300 millimeters of uh, total precipitation for the year. Uh, normally, we should have uh, 525. Um, and this year, we're on pace to be even drier than last year. So it's been a long haul uh, with uh, abnormally dry conditions uh, here in the Red River Valley. Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, but in a typical summer in southern Manitoba, June tends to be the rainiest month, right, before July and August tend to dry up? That's correct. On average, if you look at the uh, climate normals over the past 30 years, June traditionally has been our wettest month on average, uh, with almost uh, 100 millimeters of average rainfall for the month. Um, But in the past few years, that's really dropped off, and uh, we're not seeing those June rains uh, as much as we used to. Um, And yes, normally we do kind of drop off uh, in in, uh, August, but... uh, the early rains just haven't been materializing uh, the way they uh, normally would have uh, in, in our climate. No rain, Rob, but also we just have been focused on that heat. And I'm wondering how unusual, like, I'm trying to think of how many days we get above 30 in a typical summer compared to what we've already seen this year. Uh, yeah, on average, uh, or the 30-year average for Winnipeg is about thir- 13 days of 30 Celsius or more um, per year. Uh, we've already had 16, and we still have uh, the rest of July and August to go through. Um, so uh, definitely, and we have more on the way uh, this week, uh, as you can see by the, the forecast, that we're getting back into the 30s uh, later this week, this week and into the weekend. So we're just adding to that total. Um, last year we had 20. Um, so we've had a couple of hot, dry summers now where we're really uh, building on that heat. And Rob, does does heat beget heat, and does dry beget dry? You know, I'm I'm going back to the the learnings and teachings of of the water cycle, but it feels as though you know when it's wet, it it tends to stay wet, and and when it's dry, it's really tough to move that hot dry weather out. Uh, that's right. Uh, there there is a saying: drought begets drought, and uh, there's a there's truth to that because. One of the important elements for uh, initiating showers and thunderstorms in the prairies in the summertime is surface moisture. You need uh, surface moisture to combine with the heat to uh, evaporate and and build into showers and thunderstorms. Um, But we're just not getting that surface moisture this year. It's drying up. Plants are conserving energy, so they're not releasing a lot of moisture that they normally would. So uh, the surface moisture just isn't there to uh, develop into those uh, thunderclouds that would give you uh, showers and thunderstorms. So, yeah, if it's dry, it tends to stay dry. Uh, And if it's wet, you have that surface moisture, it's easier to get additional showers and thunderstorms. And Rob, before we let you go, when I was out for a walk yesterday morning, I noticed something I did not expect to see in early July, a lot of leaves on the ground. Is that a sign that our trees are just also desperate for water? I think so. Uh, that's heat stress that you're seeing. That uh, they've basically tapped out uh, any surface moisture that uh, that the roots can uh, get. And now, with only one and a half millimeters of rain in the past 30 days, combined with the uh, 30 to 35 degree heat we've been seeing, uh, it's becoming really stressful on uh, trees and crops. Uh, I know some farmer friends of mine are saying if they don't get rain soon, 
uh, this year's crop could be a write-off. So it's a desperate situation for, uh, for a lot of farmers out there. Robert Paula, former Environment Canada meteorologist. You can follow him on Twitter under Rob's Obs. It's a great follow. Robert, thank you very much for the time as always, sir. Very much appreciated. You're welcome. I felt super sporty this weekend as I talked about NBA final action and then the Wimbledon championships. We had golf. Of course, we had the Euro 2020 championship match, live soccer at IG Field with Valor FC. And of course, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are back on the field this week. Training camp. Boy, that feels good to say. Training camp underway at the U of M as the 2019 Grey Cup champs look to regain their championship form, Greg. Bob Irving has been there, as you might expect, in the voice of the Blue and Gold joins us now on the start. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you guys. I'll be heading over there shortly for day three of training camp, as a matter of fact. How does it feel to be back at it? Well, it feels pretty much the same, but it's been a while. It's over two years since the Bombers had a training camp. It was May of 2019 when they started their last training camp, so it's been a while. Uh, it was it was great to be out there and see the players going through their paces. The weekend, guys, really was a kind of a love-in uh, with the players, so happy to be back and be around each other. There's a real bond and a family bond that's developed on this Bomber team, and of course winning a championship just cements that bond. Uh, a number of the veteran players I talked to said the highlight for them was just seeing their teammates and looking them in the eye and smiling at them and laughing and joking and you know being back together. That to me was really the neat story out of the first two days of training camp. Yeah, lots of the players saying all the right things too, Bob, in terms of feeling as though they're getting right back at it and maybe picking up exactly where they left off in November of 2019. Well, when you watch them line up on offense, Greg, it's the same 12 with one exception, and that's Michael Couture at center, and he was injured during the Grey Cup and would have been the starting center during the Grey Cup game if he hadn't been injured. So it's the same starting 12 on offense that won the Grey Cup game. So there's a real familiarity there and I think the Bombers have every right to be confident and feel good about what they're going to put on the field this year they're, they're going very slow at the start of training camp and by that I mean there's no uh, no one-on-one drills very little contact as Mike O'Shea and the coaches focus on making sure they don't ask the players to do too much and keeping in mind that they haven't played football for almost two years and they want to ease them into things so they don't have any injuries like some of the teams in the league have suffered. Now, this training camp, of course, much different than those of the past several years. No preseason games, yet we are still over three weeks away from that first game on August 5th. Well, that's right. And one of the questions we're asking about that game is how many fans will be there, Brett. But in terms of preparation, the the lack of a preseason game will hurt the rookies more than anybody because, you know, how do you show what you can really do unless you're in a game? And, And that's just the way it is, and it's a tough deal. For the rookies, they're really going to have to stand out in practice if they're going to beat out any of the veteran players because the Bombers know what the vets can do, obviously. So it's a long camp, though. It's uh, three weeks plus, really. And uh, the newcomers, Mike O'Shea, said, hey, we're going to give them every chance to show us what they can do. However, they will not have a preseason game, and that's just the way it is. If we can switch to uh, the other football or soccer or however you want to call it, lots of people watching, of course, the Euro final yesterday, Bob, and that's when England lost in penalty kicks to Italy and I think this happens every time we watch a major final out of soccer I always say why does it have to end like that why does it oh why why conclude a huge tournament like that with penalty kicks is that the way to go or is there any movement to changing that in that sport 
Well, they talk about it all the time, Loren, and I'm with you. It would be, I was thinking as I watched it yesterday, it would be kind of like ending the Stanley Cup final in a shootout. You know, that would be just the wrong way to do it. And the NHL will never do that. You'll play overtime in the Stanley Cup playoffs till the game is decided. And they did play extra time in the soccer game. But at a certain point, then when the extra time is up, then they go to the penalty kicks. And Italy beat England 3-2 to two in the penalty kicks to win the Euro Cup. And that poor 19-year-old kid from England, Bukeo Saka, who had the last kick for England and was stopped by the Italian goalie, he was in tears after the game. And he's receiving all sorts of horrible comments on social media so i mean i don't i don't like penalty kicks or shootouts to settle any game in any sport especially one of this magnitude but uh, great for italy and their fans they uh, they won the championship and for england yet another loss in a championship soccer event and it goes back to it's hard to believe 1966 is the last time England, it's like sort of like the Toronto Maple Leafs with the Stanley Cup, the last time England won anything of significance. Off the field, some sickening images of Italian fans being spat on, punched while still in the stadium, leaving the seating area, but still within Wembley. How's that allowed to happen, Bob? We saw images of, of English fans, at least they appeared to be English fans, trying to storm the stadium prior to the game fans that didn't have tickets could england face some sanctions here moving forward in terms of their participation in some of these major events yeah i don't know greg if that will happen or not you know we've heard for years about the soccer hooligans and i think that's the word to describe them and unfortunately it paints the rest of the fans with the same brush, and there's not many of them, but there's enough. And it seems like it's worse in soccer than any other sport where these nuts, these hooligans, just uh, do some vile things. And it's too bad. I don't know what you do about it. I, I'm not sure what the solution is. You can sanction the team, I guess, or the country, but that's not fair either. Uh, maybe more security. I, I don't know. There's no easy answer to it. But these kinds of things we've seen in soccer many, many times over the years. It was much more civil at Wimbledon yesterday when Novak Djokovic won his 20th Grand Slam title to tie Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal uh, for Grand Slam threes. And Djokovic is he's a couple of years younger than those other guys, so he's got a chance, I think, to... Uh, outdistance both Federer and Rafael Nadal. He's had an amazing career, and it just continues. Back to the CFL for a sec here, Bob. Uh, have yeah. you received any explanation about the Bombers playing Edmonton three times and Ottawa zero times? Like, listen, Linda brought this up, and we just assumed yeah. all the teams had one team they didn't play at all, but not so. Well, the only explanation you get is that scheduling is complicated to begin with, and when you shorten the season and try to play the early games away from the eastern precincts and play them all in the west. It just got very, very complicated. Stadium availability and all these things weigh into it. So, yeah, it's an odd schedule. I think Ottawa plays Montreal four times, and yet they don't play the Bombers once, which you know I think is upsetting for Bomber fans because they'd like to see a game against Matt Nichols and Paul Lapolis. But... The CFL would tell you that they did the best they could, again, in this pandemic with the schedule. They tried to keep travel down because that keeps costs down. So the more games you play in the West or in the East against your Eastern foes, it's a little less expensive. So all those things went into it. Fair explanation, Bob. Wouldn't expect anything less from you. We appreciate <laughs> it, my friend. Oh, no problem. Well, it is It is what it is. I wonder whoever said that. And the NBA, how about Milwaukee won a big game last night? They're now alive in the NBA final. 
Giannis Antetokounmpo had a big game for the Bucks. The Greek yeah, freak. Big... The Greek yeah. freak. That's what they yeah. call him, the Greek no, freak. No, they yep. don't. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's his nickname. He's from Greece, and they call him the Greek freak. It's a loving nickname, Lorette. Yeah, oh, yeah, I know. It's, it's all – and the freak is because he's such a tremendous talent. He's got incredible talent. So <laughs> they say his freakish talent, so they call him the Greek okay. freak. Got I'll it? accept that. I was thinking of his mom in the audience having to hear that. Yes, the Greek freak. And his mom's like, come on. Can't we use his name? Well, his mom might say, come on. It's easier to say Greek freak than it is to say Giannis Antetokounmpo, too. Yeah, it's like yeah, no you can, question. You could go Yanni. You could do stuff like that. That's more fun. Yanni. You don't want to be compared to Yanni now. You know, think about that. The, the Greek performer. You don't want to be that oh. nickname. And of course, Giannis's brother plays on the Bucks as well. It's so great to see two smaller market teams. I know Phoenix is a pretty big market, but not the biggest basketball market, and 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 not these uh, regular teams. I think my one of my boys told me yesterday it's the first time in twenty years that a former teammate in one shape or form of Shaquille O'Neal's is not in the NBA final. So a little bit of a changing of the guard. It's kind of neat to see. Is all right, Bob, are you still there? Yeah. Bob oh, didn't find that fascinating that? Yeah, at I all. Didn't know so. that. I didn't know that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> it would right. be better if you had just hung up. Yeah, you got it. Bye, guys. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Loren, what are we talking about after Global News at 9.30? Well, music, because we, we were talking in our question of the day about restrictions potentially loosening this week, and then we asked, what are you looking forward to, or what would you like to see come back? And so lots of people weighing in with that one, everything from, you know, indoor visits to uh, changing the, the rules around theaters and being able to go to a movie indoors. And then, of course, concerts is on the list. And until we were able to have concerts inside or bands playing at venues we've got a winnipegger who's hosting some backyard concerts this summer to not just bring her friends and family together for music but to try to give some money back to musicians who've really had no place to play for well over a year and in our next segment we're giving away that 20 dollars gift certificate for santa lucia pizza based on your text messages if you could save up a lot of money for something really big, really cool, like, say, a trip to space with Virgin Galactic, as one Winnipeg woman is doing. Tell us a story at 204-780-6868. Last chance. We're giving it away in our next segment. As we, we begin a new week, many are looking, Greg, ahead to a potential federal election in late summer or early fall. I said, uh, you know, maybe definitely not at all. <laughs> yeah, I know where you fit in on that one, Brett. Uh, many also eagerly anticipating what comes of restrictions in Manitoba, as we were just discussing, as the rest of Western Canada eases or almost completely eliminates restrictions associated with the battle against COVID-19. There will be mounting pressure on Manitoba to make similar decisions. And of course, the man right next to Dr. Brent Rusin when these announcements are made, Loren, is Premier Brian Pallister. And throughout this pandemic, polls have shown that the popularity for our premier has decreased, some might argue dramatically, over the past 16 months. And of course, he has been criticized for certain decisions made over the course of this pandemic. And then, of course, last week, the premier said emphatically that the statues toppled on Canada Day. On July 1st, the statues toppled at the legislature would be restored and replaced. And so 
Where does this take him for the politics and for the popularity of our Premier? Kelly Saunders is Assistant Professor at Brandon University and joins us regularly on 680 CJOB to talk politics. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. So when the Premier made this announcement about the future of the statues of Queen Victoria and Queen Elizabeth, there were some that said, yeah, we agree with them, they should go back up. And then there was others who were really critical of the tone and the overall message that he gave about what reconciliation looks like. How did you see the resp- what he said and the response? Well, I mean, quite frankly, I, I, I wasn't surprised. I was dismayed and disappointed, but I wasn't surprised. I mean, we've seen the Premier make a number of gaffes on a number of issues, uh, really, ever since he became leader of this province. And uh, he doesn't seem to learn from his gaffes either. He just seems to double down. So for me, this was really more of the same, as unfortunate and disappointing as that is. Kelly, you know, we know that COVID-19 has treated some premiers better than others in terms of popularity. Brian Pallister has been on the lower end of that scale. Is it tone? Is it the way he approaches things versus the actual message itself? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. That's a great question. I think it's a lot of it is his personality, his style of management. Uh, He seems to be tone deaf, right, On, on really feeling the pulse of where Manitoba is at and responding to that in a really caring and compassionate way, but also listening and incorporating the opinions of others, right? He doesn't seem to be able to engage in dialogue and bring other people in and seek compromise. It's always my way or no way is his style. And, uh, you know, that obviously alienates a number of people, especially when you're dealing with a crisis situation like we have been doing with the pandemic. You mentioned that uh, the what he said about the statues was a, a gaffe in your mind. What was it about what he said uh, that day that that was a gaffe to you? Yeah, well, I just think it was so inappropriate. I mean, here we are at this moment in our country's history where, you know, we're all learning and opening our minds more to, to understanding that the real history, the true history of residential schools and, and our relationship with Indigenous peoples in this country and so it, you know, and that's, that's a really good thing to come out of the horrible tragedy of the discovery of all the unmarked graves. And so for him to come out and, and basically, you know, misrepresent our real history in this country by saying, you know, the settlers came here with the best of intentions. They had no, you know, no plans to destroy cultures. We know that that, that is simply untrue from a, from a historical, uh, um, from the, you know, the historical records that we know. And so, you know, as I mentioned before in in other commentary, I mean, it's one thing to think that, and it's another thing to actually say that out loud, especially when you're the leader of this province and you've been leader for six years. I mean, he's not a political neophyte. He should have some better political skills about reading the temper of the times and finding a way to bring people together rather than alienate and, uh, and separate people out, which seems to be his fallback position most times. So his popularity is down, but we know that, and the politicians, a politician will be the first to say this, that, you know, they'll wait to see how they do at the actual poll, not, you know, a political poll, but, you know, at the at the ballot box. And so when it comes to, we're talking federal election possibly this year, we're in theory still two years out from a provincial one, but a lot of people wondering if if the Premier will stay on in the in the months and years ahead and whether or not we'll see a leadership change. Where do you sit with that in terms of if the PCs, the Conservatives, want to continue to have success at the polls? Is he the man to get them there? Uh, short answer is no. <laughs> 
you know, and, and for sure, I mean, you know, polls are always a moment in time, right? A snapshot in time, and they can certainly change over the course of a year or two uh, prior to the next election. But a couple of things that I would point out, first of all, is the fact that the, the polls have shown a consistent downward trend. So this isn't a one-off poll here or there where Manitobans on that particular day, you know, are particularly angry about something. There's been a consistent downward trend uh, for the, the Premier, so that is concerning. And also, you know, the fact that what Manitobans are saying is that they've lost trust and faith in, in the Premier. And that's a huge signifier because we saw that happen before in Manitoba's history, right? In 99 with the previous Philman government, in the last election, when or two elections ago, when the Tories won against uh, the previous Selinger government, when Manitobans lose faith and trust in their leader, they turn a corner. And it really doesn't matter what the party or the leader does at that point in time. Really, really difficult to rebuild that trust. So I think this is a very deep and structural and systemic um, loss of trust and faith that Manitobans have. So hard to recover from that. And the other thing as well that I would add on is that if, if the other members of caucus, you know, want to salvage, you know, their government, uh, despite whether or not uh, Pallister stays on as leader or not, they have to start separating themselves out from him a little bit. And some of these really inflammatory comments that he's making, we're not seeing that happening yet. So I think it's not just the premier that's declining in, in, in uh, popularity, but the entire party and the entire caucus They've all got to be fearing for their jobs by this point in time, you know, come the next election. We saw several NDP caucus members uh, speak out against this, uh, Premier Selinger at the time, and, and really none of those individuals are involved in provincial politics anymore, Kelly. So, you know, there are two sides to that coin about speaking up about what your leader is saying and how he or she is presenting the, the policies and or the, the views of, of the party. And secondly, is there really an heir apparent? I, I think if we went back uh, pre-pandemic, there were a couple of names in play here, but are, are those uh, the same names that we're hearing now? Is there an obvious choice to take over for Brian Pallister's leader of this party? Yeah, those are excellent points. And, and, and with regard to the first point, absolutely. I mean, it's tough for a member of caucus, right, to speak out against their leader. I mean, party loyalty is really critical and really important. Uh, and as you mentioned, right, sometimes it can it can be, you know, the end of the career for those that, that blow the whistle, so to speak. I think this is a little bit different, though, a uh, different scenario. I mean, the premier's problems and gaps and missteps have really played out in the public, right? It's not, well, his style behind closed doors that the rest of us really don't see. Um, we've seen, you know, in, in, uh, in full view, right, uh, the ways in which he's, he's mishandled the pandemic and, and the fights that he's, he's engaged with with various constituencies. So I think anybody that would be willing to step out now would have a little bit more of, of public sympathy and public understanding about what, what the Premier's shortcomings are. And the pandemic is quite a different issue than, you know, concerns over raises to the PST, right, which is, you know, and cuts to the PST, which was kind of the issue before. The pandemic is much more serious. 
So the dynamics are very different. Um, And with regard to your second point, though, that's also really important. There is no heir apparent because the the premier has really shut down, I think, you know, other good members of this cabinet that perhaps, uh, you know, might have leadership ambitions, but need, you know, need some room to be able to build up their cachet with the public, to be able to run their departments effectively and to prove to Manitobans that they do have leadership potential. He's really not allowed anybody else to share the spotlight with him. And, and so that's a problem because, you know, every party needs to succession plan, right? And to think about who's going to be the next leader. If your goal really is to keep the party in power. So um, this previous, uh, this uh, premier, like the previous premier, uh, Greg Selinger, seems to really be focused on him and his own, his own leadership. And I think he's hurting the party by doing that. Kelly Saunders, Associate Professor at Brandon University, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Kelly, thank you for the time as always. Great, thank you. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, we're asking you at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. If you could save up for something, spend an outlandish amount of money on something equally outlandish. What would it be? Inspired by the fact that billionaire Richard Branson went to space yesterday with his Virgin, Virgin Galactic ship. And a Winnipeg woman is, she's got her ticket. She's ticket number 623 when commercial flights start up next year. So, that and that's to the tune of $200,000 US, by the way. She's been saving since 2010. So, we got a couple of runners up here. Greg, you read Kristen's. I'll read one from Lord Enki, and then uh, Loren, you take us home with a winner. All right. So Kristen says, I'm not eligible for the contest, but I do have a saving story. It didn't seem too crazy at the time, but in a pandemic world, I would be heartily judged. In 2018, I started saving up for a cruise. I cut a lot of corners and ate a lot of uh, ramen noodles to pay for the trip and all the excursions. Lots of adventures, including a trek up a volcano. I couldn't wait. Cruise was booked for November 2019. Then I destroyed my ankle in October. I still made it up that volcano, though. Question, destroyed your ankle? Yep, second or third degree ankle sprain, but it wasn't properly diagnosed because I'm stubborn and pretended it wasn't so bad. It was a year before uh, a doctor realized the ligament was messed up. Is it better now? Well, it depends on your definition of better. There is still pain if I put pressure in certain ways, and the stability is uh, uh, mm, not good, (laughs) but it makes some super fun sounds now, and that's always a a good time. So well done, Kristen. Way to get up that volcano. Lord Enki has gone a little bit different direction. He said, I love getting texts from Lord Enki. Greetings, Earthlings. I would give up 100 bottles of Romulan rum to watch a Transconian cougar stalk its prey. Oh, boy. <laughs> as, as a Transconian, I, I couldn't uh, let that one go. I had to get that one on the air. So thank you, Lord I, Enki. I figured uh, that was good. The winner, though, this came in early this morning, and it was not what would they do with money, although we should ask him what he will do with his earnings if he ever sells what he did buy when he was a kid. This goes back to, I think he said he was purchased in 63, Brett, or maybe that's when the magazine came out. That's when it came out. Okay, so Dave texted to say, when I was a kid, saved up all summer for a copy of the comic book X-Men number one, which was for sale at a used bookstore for 50 bucks. The comic had come out years ago at that point, and the original price on it was 12 cents. I was hoping and praying no one would else would buy it. All my friends and family, they thought I was nuts, but I did buy it in the end, and I still have it. The value of this comic is now in the six 
figures. So not a bad investment for 50 bucks. And so Dave, you are a winner. Now I do need to know, are you going to sell it? What will you do with those six <laughs> figures? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. You know, I, uh, I we talked about it earlier, the Euro final, how just it was so nice to sit in a pub and be around people cheering again. The idea of, you know, hearing that the Bombers are back at training camp, the notion of going to a football game, that's great too. And wouldn't it be nice, Greg, to go for go see a concert? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we discussed this when footage and uh, and video uh, came out from Madison Square Garden last month, the very first uh, full-capacity concert at the Madison Square Garden, the Foo Fighters. It's, of course, helped for me personally that it was my favorite band performing live, but just that whole idea of that shared experience. I can't wait to get back to IG Field August 5th. I'm lucky enough to be a part of that gathering. And we will hear more, of course, this week on further loosening of restrictions, changes that will likely kick in this weekend. But we know there's a lot of work to be done for businesses like bars that have been closed for months and bands which haven't really been able to hold concerts. And how about even get together for a practice or a rehearsal, at least indoors, for much of the past year, Loren? Yeah, so I think that's why this email from our next guest had us all thinking, cool, or at the very least, it had me uh, replying, sign me up. It was sent by our friend Michelle Pereira, who we often speak to about her role with Habitat for Humanity. But this morning, we're talking about this email she put out uh, to some friends and family saying that she was thinking that when restrictions potentially loosen further, she might try and host some outdoor small concerts with local musicians in her backyards and of course the goal isn't just about bringing friends together but perhaps trying to raise a few dollars for those musicians who've been really hard up this past year and michelle Pereira joins us now how are you doing michelle good morning i'm wonderful how it's nice to talk to you both all three of you <laughs> yeah it's been a while and, and i was so excited to see your note because it, my first thought was oh that sounds like a good time just sitting there and listening to some live tunes don't really care what kind of music it is or who it is just to sort of have that yeah. experience again so what how did this all come about for you what was the impetus to say i could maybe try to help out in some way well i actually attended an outdoor concert through curbside concerts uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I guess. And I was like, oh, this is very good. And it was J.D. Edwards, who is somebody that Habitat is, you know, we've hired his band several times. So he came out on his own. And just, you know, listening to the despair that they're in in terms of finances and stuff, so I thought, okay, you know, this would be kind of fun to do. And I, maybe I'll close down my street. I'll get a permit. And, I, you know, I should be able to figure that out. And then I thought, why don't I just have people in my backyard? So I have a nice backyard. And I thought this would be such a great way and and so then I was talking I ran into a musician at the dog park and he was telling me about what was happening and he says you should host a concert series at, at your house and so this is this is not a new concept the house concerts have, have been happening for years it's a bit of a circuit that goes on but this way people pay to come so 25 30 dollars and then all of that money goes to the musicians 100 percent of it so I'm not profiting off of this or anything this is just more about you know, having a way, somebody just needs to organize it. That's it. And I know how to run an event. So I think that this would be really fun. Well, and good for you for doing this, because I mean, we, we all know that so many industries have been just hammered by this pandemic. But uh, uh, anybody whose primary source of income is in the entertainment 
industry, the performance industry, it, this has been just a horrible time. Terrible. It's been awful. I mean, luckily, some of them have spouses that can support them. But I mean, you're talking significant revenue loss. And they, I believe now they're qualifying for the bridge grant. But I mean, gosh, I can't imagine what that would feel like. And and I haven't been affected by COVID negatively financially. So, you know, this this was something that I felt that I could do. And I have a lot of friends. And, you know, it's interesting when I was putting the email together and, you know, deciding who I would send it to the first round, everybody replied like within, it was a firestorm. So I have over 40 people that are like, I want to come, I want to come. And so I think it's going to be a pretty, I think I'll have to have several of them in order for everybody to be able to come. You might have to have your own lottery, Michelle, to decide who gets to come to the first one based on on what kind of limits we have, uh, you know, yeah. in ease restrictions. And Brian Barkley, of course, our longtime uh, extraordinary uh, traffic reporter, has been doing these home concerts for years and years. Oh, okay. And in this changing world, oh yeah, and and you know, in this changing world, my dad used to do them at the coffee shop up in Minnedosa. And in mm-hmm. this changing world of the music business where now really the only place you make money is in your personal appearance is at concerts because the music business is, has changed so much and how we consume music online has really taken away from the bottom line of musicians and performers. Uh, their livelihood has been affected as dramatically as, as we can all imagine. So when you talk about hosting a concert and and people having that opportunity to get their music out there, it really is the lifeline right now. For sure. And I think I would encourage anybody that if you have a circle of people that you've been missing, call go on Manitoba Music, see who lives in the province, who lives in Winnipeg. There are tons of artists that are so talented. They have all the equipment. You don't have to do anything. You just book them, charge your friends 30 bucks. You know, you get 20 people at 600 bucks, you'll top it up. Everybody brings their own drinks and it's, it's a great get together, you know, and I think I'm going to do little bento box type of snacks. So, you know, we're COVID safe and, uh, you know, we're sensible that way. And, and I think uh, it's brilliant. And gosh, if, if, you know, 1% of the population that lives in Winnipeg hosted a concert, that would be a huge influx of revenue for the artists that we love so much. Like, think, this is when we're supposed to be at Folkfest, right? Like, this is when Folkfest is happening and none of them are there this year, so. There's something about it that's so good for the soul, I think, and you might not even know you missed it until, I mean, you know you're missing so uh-huh. many things, but I was saying to the guys, I was, I was away last week, right? I had gone out west. And all the musicians were performing on the streets and the streets were packed. And you're, no matter where, no matter, matter where we went in Vancouver, there was always a performer doing something. And the smiles that are always generated by that are huge, but it just something feels different right now. And you look around and you think, I would not normally have stood and listened to a guy on a saxophone mm-hmm. for 20 minutes, but I did on Saturday night because it was just so wonderful and it was so uplifting. And I think even spirit wise for dollar wise is one thing, but spirit wise is a whole other part of it. I think so. That's exactly so true. And I mean, you know, when you go to a concert and you go to a big venue, you know, if you're close and you can see them, they'll have a conversation with you. Well, this is an intimate get together and it's a great way to have that one-on-one experience. Like, like if you were go to the times change, that's what it feels like. So now you're going to be outside. It's going to be beautiful. The weather's been amazing. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I would, I just think it's a great way to do it. And if it takes me an hour to plan this, 
no problem. If it takes me five hours to plan it, I'm happy to do it. And, and I'm bored, so I'm ready to do something. <laughs> I need to, I need some. You, know, you guys know me. I need human contact. Like I'm running out of like. There's. I can only hang out with my two dogs for so long. <laughs> so. <laughs> so what you? So you say that uh, once the restrictions are lifted a little bit more. So what's the threshold that you would need to to press well, play on this? I think if it's like we're, I think we're at ten outside now, plus the people who live there. So if we can get to like twenty people, twenty five people, then it's otherwise it's not worth it for the band to come out. So, um, so I'm hoping this week that the outdoor restrictions are lifted um, a little bit, and if we can get to twenty people outside, plus myself, my group in the band, then I think uh, then I, then I will pull the trigger, and, and I mean, and I can whip this together pretty quick so i think it'll everybody bring a long chair and we'll just have a little thing at the backyard so a couple hours like two and a half hours i think two sets of 45 minutes and then uh you know if people want to tip the the band you can do that so but booking them directly is is i think key because then they get all of the money right they don't have to go through a service or something so michelle just before we let you go here one of our listeners bringing this up in terms of a permit do you need a permit to run something like this in your backyard uh, regardless of the time of day or night you know i i'm I'm gonna go with no right now and ask for forgiveness if i get in trouble but uh i don't think you do i think it's this this health concert series has been going for a while and, and you're outside so it's it's no different, but you know, it's possible. So, you know, maybe city Winnipeg, don't tell them where I live. So just in case, I think there's a, there is a, uh, a noise restriction, but we would start at probably six thirty, seven o'clock and be done by nine. So, and my neighbors will be invited. So they'll be fine. Good plan. Yeah. I'm actually looking on, I think Sunday through Thursday, 9am to 12. There's a couple of rules, but there's a different hours that might work. So yes. I'll send you that just in case. I'll be honest. Okay, if you had said wine box, you would have had me. You had, then you threw in bento box of snacks <laughs> and there's music guys. So I, this is a win, win, win well, as far as I'm concerned. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you can join us. So we'll make sure it's early enough so you can go to bed and get up early in the morning. Okay, well, you're speaking our language, Michelle. Look at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, and thanks for all the work that you guys are doing at highlighting such cool things and always being so good about telling the good stories, not always, you know, media is tough sometimes. So I think you guys are doing an excellent job. And thank God Lorenz there finally, because, you know, it's exhausting <laughs> listening to two guys in the morning long. <laughs> Well I then, did not tell her to say that. Okay, well then, I'm just going to press uh, goodbye now on Michelle Pereira. <laughs> this phone call is over. Thank you for joining Hi, us, Michelle. Michelle. Enjoy yep. hanging out with your dogs. Yep, yep. Okay, thanks a lot. Now they for are going to give out her address, eh? <laughs> yep. just in retaliation yep. for that bylaw restriction. I got a pallet of Costco eggs just waiting to to meet the. We're <laughs> just kidding. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon. 911, what's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship! Ah, there was an explosion! Oh my god, the ship is sinking! I can't get out! There's water everywhere! We're going down! I've got a lock on your location, stay with me. Hurry, hurry!
Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.